0: This morning, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, so I encourage you to begin turning there, chapter 31, we're actually going to be looking at verse 31 through 34 today, and we're going to be talking about something called the New Covenant, but we're going to see how it's both not new and new at the same time, and so since that sounds confusing... Let's uh, go to the Lord and ask for his help with that this morning. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would help us to understand what you are teaching us. We are quick to set up our own way, to set up our own system of thought so that it matches the way that we would like to live and the God that we would like to worship. But that is not the case for your word, and that is not the case for you. You are who you are, and your word is what it is. And so, Lord, help us now to come to you in worship as you are, and to study your word as it is. Open our hearts. Change us so that we might know it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we... Are looking at the new covenant, it made me think about Christmas when I was a kid, and I have these—I know I have these strange associations, but this actually makes a lot of sense. So as I was ki- as I was a kid, I really looked forward to to Christmas, and I think all kids do. And why is that? It wasn't just a presents thing, but it was a presents thing, but it wasn't just a presents thing. But everything around Christmas seemed to be brighter and better, for some reason, just, you know, how everything really changes around Christmas. The music changes, the the temperature, and all these things just change, and it really stands out as something for me, and for some reason, it just really excited me as a kid, but as I look back now, and as I look at Christmas now, it's really hard for me to see it in the same way. And that isn't because Christmas has changed. Christmas has stayed the same. My kids look forward to it the way that I looked forward to it. So I could, I guess you could say that in some way Christmas has lost a bit of its luster in my eyes, though I still enjoy experiencing it with my kids. And that made me think then of the first Christmas, and as the angel came down and spoke with Mary who would be the the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. like, Like the rest of the Jewish people, Mary probably also looked forward to Christmas, though she didn't know that it had that name yet. As a child, she had undoubtedly heard the stories of the promised Messiah. She had heard the stories of the New Covenant, which we're going to talk about today. Whereas God was going to come... And he was going to be in the midst of his people, and he was going to write his law on their hearts. He was also going to give them their land once and for all. And he was going to drive away all of their enemies so that they would finally be free. So yes, she had heard this over and over again. And of course, she would soon find out, and she would come to know more and more, that it was her own son who would deliver the people of God. So when the angel came to Mary, he said, "And you, or, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." So imagine the the excitement for Mary and for the others that knew this was coming. I and mean, could it be that the thing that they had looked forward to for so long, this. This idea of a new and final covenant a way of looking at things that would be completely different. The shadows of Abraham and Moses and David. And even the one that was read this morning. The shadow of the, the fourth man in the fire that looked like the son of God. That this one would finally come. The Messiah would come. He would. And his name was Jesus. And so for us... We have a much different way of looking at that today. We 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 see that much differently. You know what the old the people of the Old Testament and even the people of Mary's day could only see through a veil, could only see dimly. We can see very plainly because of the pages of Scripture and because of what is written down. Even while Jesus walked on the earth, the promises wouldn't find their finality, as it were, until He left. And even now, we still await him to come back and to take us home. But we see these promises clearly. And so for us, the question is, and I think to start out today, what are we doing with these promises? So as we look at this final iteration of the covenant of grace, we're going to study it from the pages of Jeremiah. We're going to see that this is a new covenant. It's new because the people of God needed a way for the promises of God to change the way that they lived, not simply be a safety net for them. God desired a people who were not only his, which he was able to ensure, he was able to ensure that these people would always be his no matter what they did. But that we are also walking in him, walking with him. And so he's going to ensure that through this new covenant. So with that, we're going to look at three points. The new doesn't replace the old, but makes it better. The law is now written on hearts of flesh and not stone. And that the covenant is still a covenant of grace. So as we do that, let's look at the text. Let's stand together as I read from the text. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more amen this is God's word be seated So, here we are in the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Jeremiah is uh, it's very long, and it's, it's fairly sad, actually. Probably the most quoted passage in the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where he says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, for your good and for, for you to have uh, fortune and, and prosperity, a good thing. Well, that came on the hills of the Lord telling that his people that they, would be in, that they would be in exile for another 70 years. And that they should go ahead and have families and make gardens and, and live in their cities. Jeremiah had this message to deliver to the people. Why did he have this sad message to deliver to the people? He was called the weeping prophet. The reason is, is because Israel were covenant breakers. They could not keep the covenant of the Lord. Time and time again, and as we've read through, we've basically done an Old Testament survey in some sense as we've gone through this covenant teaching. We've seen this over and over, that the people of God, even though they're given these very vivid and plain reminders from the Lord, cannot and will not keep the covenant. They cannot keep the terms of the covenant. They just continue to break them. They continue to go after other gods. And Israel, in that case, is being punished for that. They're being put into exile. Yet, God remembers his people, as we read here in chapter 31. So, when we read about a new covenant, we're not reading of something that is replacing the covenant of grace but simply giving it a new character. This covenant of grace, this new covenant, what does God say is now going to be written on the hearts of men. This is something that's going to be on the inside of them rather than the outside. Because everything up to this point has been an outside showing, right? The law, the sacrifices, the symbols that were given, the this, this symbol of circumcision the symbol of the Passover. All of these things were outward observances that were to strengthen the faith of the people of God. But they needed something more than that. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So first, the idea that the new new covenant does not replace the old. And so remember the covenant that was made with the fathers. We spent a lot of time talking about this. All the way back to Adam, what the Lord promised, that the evil one would would be vanquished by one who would come later. And that one was called the seed of the woman. And we've seen that playing out through all of scripture, but there was going to be one who would come, who was the ultimate seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. And that is Jesus Christ. What do we read in Abraham? That there was an everlasting covenant made. When God says the word everlasting, he doesn't mean until such a time that I choose to get rid of it. He means everlasting. So there was an everlasting covenant made with Abraham. And the promises there were for for a land and for, for him to be a great nation. Moses was given the law. And it was through this law that Israel would know how to serve the Lord. Israel would also be able to see the promises of God actually being played out, the remission of sins being played out through the sacrifices, the promises of the law and the actual giving of the Ten Commandments. And these weren't to earn his favor, but these were to show them how to serve him out of gratitude. And to David, he was promised that his offspring would be on the throne forever, and that Israel would always have a king, and eventually there would one day be a king who would rule over all forever and ever, and he would be one of David's sons, but he would also be David's Lord, Jesus Christ. So each of these promises were given as everlasting promises that would not pass away because God gave them, and God does not pass away. Each of them were given with a sign, something that the people of God could remember. Some sort of outward picture that was, that was supposed to be an outward picture of what was supposed to be happening inside their hearts. But what's the problem? What is the continued theme of the Old Testament outside? I mean, the theme of the Old Testament is the grace of God in spite of the people's continued idolatry. The Lord was continually gracious. The people were continually idolatrous. Continually. And even as you read through it, it seems that after every single affirmation of this covenant, the people of God dive deeper and deeper into their sin. And they had no real desire to turn back. Just read through the Old Testament history books. You, You catch the occasional good guy, like King Josiah, for instance, who Who sought to bring the word of God back. He found the word of God hidden in the temple. Which is just crazy to think. But he sought to bring the the word of God back. And bring the ways of God back to his land. But even his reforms were short lived. The people of Israel. They deserved to be driven from their land. By the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Why? Because they broke the covenant with the Lord. And what does the Lord say here? He says, I took them by the hand out of Egypt. I took them by the hand. This is the Lord of all creation saying that he held the hand of his people and walked with them. And he literally did. He was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And he was in the midst of them. He walked with them through the desert. What did he see when he walked with them and held their hand? Them continually trying to pull away. Always trying to pull away, and he says, "Though I, they were they broke my covenant, though I was their husband." The Lord was their husband in the sense that the people were his bride, his betrothed, his inheritance, the ones whom he came to save. And how did they return the favor? Continued idolatry. Turn to uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-one. And I'd love to have more time to spend here, uh, 31 and 32, of uh, just phenomenal passages here. But I want to read for you a section and how the Lord sums up what was happening and what, what continued to happen with the people of Israel. Look at Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, You are about to lie down with your fathers. So Moses was getting ready to to die. Then the people will rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day because of the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. They will say in that day, Is not our God among us? Is this the reason this is happening? Because... Is it because God isn't here? Can you imagine the audacity of a kid? I mean, just imagine this. You're crossing the road with your kid, and the kid is desperately trying to pull away from you, and and something bad happens, and then the kid turns around and says, why didn't you hang on to me? Why weren't you here? If you would have been here, none of this would have happened. That's exactly what Israel is doing. That's exactly what God says they're going to do. And what do they do time and time again in the Old Testament? What do they do time and time again today, right here? They turn away, and they wonder, where is God in all this? Where is He? He's right here. He was right there with them. He was very visible for the people of Israel. He was a pillar of cloud. He was a pillar of fire. He was the tabernacle in the midst of the people. Later, He was a temple in the midst of the city. The sign of circumcision. Every man in Israel knew this sign and knew what it was about. The Passover. Every year they celebrated the Passover, and it was a really big deal to the people of Israel. These things were given that they would remember, yet they continue to forget. And so this new covenant is not a way or is, is a way to not only Change the hearts of the people of God, but to make them more and more remember what the Lord has done for them and would do for them in Jesus Christ. And the second point is is that this is now written on hearts of flesh, not of stone. It says here in the text that I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. This isn't necessarily a new idea in Scripture. The law was on the hearts of the people. We read in Romans chapter 2 that the law was written on the hearts of all men. But the law itself, the law itself is unable to change the hearts of men by itself. Who alone is able to change the hearts of men? God alone is able to change the hearts of men. And so what does he mean by saying that I will write, the law, on the hearts of men. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Again, another passage that we could spend quite some time unwrapping. Um, And I highly recommend this week for your own personal study to go through some of these passages and really unpack them. But Ezekiel chapter 36 26 through 28 says this and gives us a perfect picture of what Jeremiah is writing about as well. He says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Now get this. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The spirit. What does it mean that I'm going to write the law on their hearts? He is going to give them the spirit. The spirit. His own spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, will now dwell in the hearts of the people. And what is the spirit going to do? How is the spirit going to change the hearts of men towards the law of God? He is going to cause them to walk in his ways. What do we call this in the New Testament? And I want you guys to see this connection. What do we call this in the New Testament? Sanctification. This is the act of the Holy Spirit changing the people of God, even sometimes in spite of them. Praise the Lord that that happens. Even in spite of us, we are being changed. The Holy Spirit then represents a seal that we are indeed being made better. Isn't that great? That I don't have to look at the sacrifice of an animal, or I don't have to to look at some other outward symbol in order to, for my faith to be better. Yes, we have those things today. We have those outward symbols. And that is their goal. But ultimately, who is it that makes those things efficacious in my life? It is the Holy Spirit of God. Even though our tendencies are the exact same as the people in the Old Testament, those saints in the Old Testament, we have this promised spirit as our guide and he is a perfect representation of this idea of God with us the holy spirit was sent by the father and was sent by the son we talked about this last week in our sunday school time the father proclaimed to the old testament saints that he would write his law on their hearts and this was actually the promise of the spirit of god who would personally do that because he would dwell in the hearts of men after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus and then what did Jesus tell the disciples the Holy Spirit will come upon you and what happened right after Jesus left the Holy Spirit came upon them like a mighty rushing wind at, at Pentecost and again Jesus shows us time and and time again, that he is this ultimate fulfillment of the covenant of grace, crushing the head of the serpent on the cross, ensuring forever that his people would change, and that we would be given new hearts, and that by his rising from the dead we have he sent us his Holy Spirit that it might dwell in us. We need to see, and part of the new covenant promise is that all of this is being fulfilled every single bit of it the entire old testament looks forward to the cross of Christ that is the promise of the new test, of the new covenant that we can see all of this fulfilled in Christ who is God in the flesh there is no possible better way for us to experience this 1 Corinthians chapter 1 turn there with me And this is a passage that I've quoted several times as we've studied this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Maybe I meant 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That is the case. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. It says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed Us And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The culmination of this promise is that God is with us. God is near. Right here with us. That's an incredible thought. And so the third point is, is that this is still... A covenant of grace. This is still a covenant of grace. It's in Jesus Christ that God can say in verse 33. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. I think if we've seen anything in our study of the covenants. It's how Jesus is littered through the pages of the Old Testament. As well as the New, Because every single covenant points forward to him. It should completely change the way that we read our Bibles. And I hope it does. The terms of the covenant alone are unable to turn our hearts toward, towards God. They're just unable to do that. The law of Moses, it's only a picture. And it was only sufficient to show us how desperate we are for someone to save us. Because we can't do it without him. It's only a picture. We are at the mercy of God concerning his law. The law of God is really good, but it's also really hard to follow. The covenants were hard. Man is in need of someone to mediate. And that mediator is God himself, our Lord Jesus. And Think of this. All throughout Scripture, men like Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, these men were sent so that God could have a mediator, so that God could have a teacher to show the people This is how we should live out the terms of the covenant. This is how we should follow the covenant. But what's wrong with this? Noah and Abraham and Moses and David were all failures themselves. They weren't perfect teachers. Even though the Lord said, this one's going to do this, they weren't perfect at it. I mean, even Moses. Moses is often referred to the strongest Christ figure in the Old Testament, and I tend to agree with that. But he wasn't even allowed to enter into the promised land. Why? Because he didn't trust the Lord. Very simple. The Lord told him to do this and he did that instead. Yet it was these men who the Lord said, You're going to be the teacher of the people. And so when the text says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. What's going on here? This is the idea that each one of us, As believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer in in need of this type of mediator, of this type of teacher, because Jesus Christ alone is our mediator. His spirit dwells within us. Turn to John chapter 14. I know we're flipping around a lot today, but I think this this is important. John chapter 14, this is our Lord Jesus himself talking to his disciples. This is, about, this is him talking about the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am the Father, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him The Holy Spirit will teach us all things. The Father, the Son, will send their representation. The third person of the Trinity will come, live inside of us, and serve as our teacher. And not only that, what else will he help us do? To remember all the things that he has done for us. All the things that he has said. And what did we do to deserve it? it's still a covenant of grace. We did nothing to deserve it. Now this should be this should be very plain to us because there are groups out there that will say that you have to get the holy spirit in order to be saved. And getting the holy spirit involves several things that you have to produce on your own, like speaking gibberish and making prophecies. These are things that you have to do in order to demonstrate that you have the spirit of the Lord. These are physical works. This is a covenant of grace, not of works. Those groups would attempt to take grace out of the covenant, and that's not the case at all because our relationship with Jesus for for us to have a relationship to Jesus God requires his own actions for that to take place, not my own. He didn't start it. or we didn't start it. We did not start this relationship with the Lord, nor can we finish it. God began a relationship with us, and he will finish it. He will see it to completion, and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of that. We know the Spirit's work in our life is our assurance that He is indeed working on us. We read that in Romans 8. That He is working on us. It is our assurance that that is good and right. The Spirit is God's law written on our hearts. He causes us to walk in it. Do we do that all the time? No. But because of the Spirit's work in our lives, brothers and sisters, we can say we're better than we were. Hallelujah. So, unlike my views on Christmas that have changed over time and been less exciting, my views on my relationship with Jesus should only get bigger and brighter. They should only get better as I see more clearly the things of God, the promises of God, working themselves out in my life. The promises of God should never be mundane. It should never be a mundane thing that he's taken a vile sinner like me and he's making him into a saint. That should cause us to jump up and down. Look at the work of the saints in Scripture. Look what happened to them over the course of their life. Read about how the Lord continued to work in their lives until he took them home. We can see that in other people too, thankfully, because this this walk with the Lord is not solo. And that is one of the primary reasons for that, that we don't do church at home by ourselves in a, in a closet. We need to see other people living out their faith. We need to see the Lord working on other people. We need to see other people being sanctified in order to increase our own faith. It's a good thing that we see this. And so in that, Christians, let us rejoice in the fact that this covenant of grace is written on our hearts. Because if it wasn't, we would easily dismiss it. It is written on our hearts. The guarantee that God has once and for all set redemption for his people. and He did that. God himself did that. We have one, the one who, I mean, go back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember the Spirit It says that he hovered over the waters of the deep. Before they were, When they were formless and void, the Spirit hovered over those waters. And He now lives within us. And He's instructing us and teaching us and guiding us. My exhortation to you is, listen to what He has to say. Obey His words. It is not just our conscience being our guide, but it's the very living Spirit of God inside of us. Live in such a way as to make your sanctification something that other people see, and not only see, but they wonder about. They think, wow, how is that even possible? In a world of garbage, in a world of chaos and bad, they should look at us and see light. That's what Jesus said. Go and be a city on a hill. Let your light shine. And it should If we have him inside of us. Live as if you have the law written on your hearts. Because that is true. The creator of all things calls us his own. And thanks be to God he is helping us even now walk in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we readily admit that this is a struggle and sometimes even wonder if we are being changed but as i look back over my life and i look back i can see how you have changed me and i can see how you have put the right people in my life and put the right circumstances in my life and those things weren't accidents but they were the one ever orchestrated by the one who guides all things and all the actions of men. So Lord, help us, as we are being sanctified, to live as if we are. To make our calling, to make our election, to make our sanctification sure. And to remember your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.